Oh, uh, yeah. Episode 110 with Cozy, Adam Cozy on this one. He's a hacker hunter, former FBI, U.S. parkour director at USPK, and the head referee of World Chase Tag. And he is here to talk about, first of all, the organization USPK, give us an update on where they are, what they've been up to, and where they're headed and how you guys can get involved and share you know some of his insight and his story on becoming a parkour practitioner then governance participant and more and some of the topical conversations of the world we get into right at the end of the podcast so i really like this one brilliant guy to converse with and i hope you guys enjoy it very much here you are Thank you for joining us, Adam. Cozy, right? Am I getting all that correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, cozy is usually what everyone goes with in the parkour community. You know, okay. everyone has nicknames. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to blow your A-list. We were just talking how you have this background in hacking and cyber network security, right? Um, yep, yep. So, I mean, I don't know where you'd like to start, but, you know, ultimately, you're here to, to have a discussion about the USPK and... I know primarily sure. you wanted to, you know, share some things and be really transparent because that's what the organization is about. And, and there's some great information and updates that are coming out for the parkour community to absorb. So, yeah, um, I definitely want to get into that, but I would like to just get, you know, for anyone who doesn't know you, um, off the bat, sure. just kind of your background and then how you landed, you know, former doing whatever kind of work I don't even know still completely for the <laughs> FBI now to um, directing the United States parkour organization. Sure, yeah, so um, let's see. Yeah, started, uh, it's funny, the FBI and intelligence stuff and parkour actually were started around the same time. So um, I had moved to Washington DC uh, specifically to, to go to the FBI Academy in, in Quantico. And uh, I got put in the, the cyber division, I think, because I like hacked my high school's loudspeaker when I was like a kid. And they brought, <laughs> you know, they they know everything. They they brought that stuff up during my like background check. And uh, I wait, was they totally hacked your? Shocked, but... They know this? They tell me the story that they know because what did the, what did you hack at your high school? <laughs> my my high school's loudspeaker system. Oh, okay, um, the PA system. I, it was like one of the first memes at the time, it was, it was like a recording of Sean Connery just going, Oh, the man now dog over and over again. <laughs> Do you know that one? And I, yeah, my, my, uh, my friends and I just thought that was absolutely hilarious. And so I, I hacked the loudspeaker and put it on a, um, a boom box and just had it on loop. And, uh, yeah, people, principal, everyone was running around the school. So I, I was told that it wasn't like put on my record that, that I did like community service mm -hmm. as like a suspension type thing. Um, but, uh, they still like when they do your background check, they definitely go back in time and start talking to all your, your teachers and, you know, people that knew you to kind of figure out what type of person you are, if you would be blackmailed or if you're, if you're, you know, working for a foreign government or something like that. And so, um, so yeah, so they knew about that. And so I think that's the reason I got put in, in the cyber division, uh, <laughs> like, cause they, they definitely brought it up during my background check. And I was like, wow, you guys do your homework. So. Man, that is scary and sort of um, comforting, I guess. <laughs> they're thorough, these <laughs> yeah, they're thorough. FBI agents. That's right. So, um, so yeah, so I, I'd moved out to D.C. and I just had this, um, you know, like a fascination with, with parkour. I'd seen 
Casino Royale, I think like so many folks and seeing, you know, Sebastian Foucault and doing his thing and just being like, wow, like that guy handily, you know, like James Bond catches him in the movie, right? But you're like, he doesn't actually catch him. He kind of like outwits and get, breaks into that embassy. But I was just like, wow, like that guy moves like a true ninja, you know, just like I'd never seen anything like it before. And so when I got to a bigger city like DC, you know, I came from a small place in the Midwest and was like, yeah, I, I want to see if that exists. Stumbled across the uh, APK, American Parkour Gym in uh, downtown DC and pretty much started taking classes uh, right when I got in. And so um, those two things were kind of going simultaneously for, for over 10 years at this point. Mm. Um, so I worked for the FBI for a while and then I started to do private sector cybersecurity. And um, yeah, so parkour had been growing you know, uh, in, in the DC area. And I'd, I'd been a part of that sometimes teaching at the gym, um, other times just kind of focusing on my own training. And, you know, I, I guess I was part of that, that, um, enchilon of, of, you know, uh, tresseurs who basically like, yeah, I started this as a hobby. It was never, I, I didn't start in my teens. So I started, you know, pretty much as a, a fully grown adult, um, so I, I definitely was scared of some things, you know, I mm -hmm. think when you're a kid, you can just like throw your body in and just not worry about any of the impact or anything. But I was a little bit more cautious. So I probably didn't progress as, as quickly as I could have, but um, I just loved it. I fell in love with the community. I just thought that everyone was amazing. And I love this idea that it was very international from the beginning because I love traveling and that's what I wanted to do with a lot of my like government work um, was to was to travel and, and kind of um, see all these different places. And parkour was actually really the outlet that actually got me out the door more so than the FBI because the FBI is a, a domestic intelligence agency. So mm -hmm. I was mostly in the States for all of my bureau related stuff. Um, but parkour was really what, what kind of got me out in the world. And yeah, I, I just think it's amazing because you have that immediate like connection with folks and you can just plug into a community and have have people show you around a different city a different country uh you know translate sometimes and and show you just kind of these amazing off the, the beaten path you know not not any of the touristy spots they're taking you to rooftops and cool cool areas around the city so that was really where i felt like i started falling in love with parkour so that is the place to fall in love with parkour on a rooftop with some locals, I would say, yeah, or uh, if you, or just wherever, even by yourself, that's where you fall in love. You catch yeah. a lot of good sunsets, especially those early years. I feel like you, you really just there's something about there's something really special about realizing. I don't know if it's still like this for people coming up, but when I think we were coming up, it was like wow, it just felt like there was a whole lawless kind of land out there to explore for for people willing to go access it. Yeah, and I, I think that was kind of the interesting part for me too. Was kind of like I had a, I had a background where I had to keep very squeaky clean to get into the FBI, um, but I always had that that subversive, you know, mm. slightly anarchist side to me as well. I think I think all folks do that that are in that. You know, you just kind of uh, you you play by the rules to a certain extent, but you're also kind of like fascinated by the underground as a result. And so for, for me, that was very much parkour it was, yeah, you're, you're trespassing sometimes that's definitely not allowed, but <laughs> that's part of kind of the fun of it, you know? Yeah. And um, just, yeah, kind of, uh, yeah. Figuring out how you can go uh, different places and, and kind of push your limits. I think that's the other thing was just really being able to um, 
step outside of your comfort zone. And the more that you do that, the more it becomes a habit. You, you feel like you can go other places because, um, you know, if you're too much in your comfort zone, you feel very boxed in. And I feel like parkour was always about the freedom and about pushing yourself out of the comfort zone. So everyone thinks of the physical side, but the mental side was, I think, really what, what you know, absolutely made me fall in love with it was just because it's like, well, this is a mental model. You can apply this to like literally anything in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see a lot of dressers kind of do that over time where it starts physical with, with how to break something down. And then they start using it on larger problem sets within their life and uh, creating those kind of progressions to, to level themselves up. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I love that. Um, have you applied it to some of your cybersecurity in a way that's uh, salient right now? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of like a good example of that. I, it, it's, it's really interesting because the cyber stuff, was at odds for a while because it's very analytical and with parkour you have to have a balance right if you're too analytical about it um, i would sit there for a long time on a jump that i knew was at the 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 outer limits of my capabilities and i would just stare at it for the longest time Mm -hmm. and then i'd go through the motions i'd get my you know everyone has their little pre-jump routine right when you're like committing to something (laughs) like that you all have like your little ticks or, or whatever. And I have my own, and yeah. I, would, I would do those over and over again, getting prepped for it. And then just analyze everything that could possibly go wrong in that scenario. And I was just like, I can't, you know, so I, I had to learn to actually shut that part of it off. So in some ways I felt like the, the cyber analytical stuff was, was detrimental and I had to learn to balance the two. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Is it a, <clears throat> did you ever get in any trouble with your, superiors <laughs> or you know clients uh private clients luckily no but it is funny training in dc because so much of it is um you know federal property so there's mm-hmm. definitely been a couple times where you've had you've had folks come out you know with with hands on <laughs> on weapons or something oh, like wow. that and that's definitely like folks that train in dc if you're training downtown like it, sometimes you just don't even realize it because it's blocked the block and all of a sudden that one's like federal property and you're like wow um okay yep no <laughs> no worries backing away not trying <laughs> to actually break into this building uh, i have no idea what's in that building it mm. could be a secure facility it could just be you know uh, a, a, a paperwork you know <laughs> mm-hmm. printing type thing um, but at the same time, like they, they take that very seriously. Um, so th- that, that is kind of one of those eye-opening things in DC, but luckily nothing ever too bad happened. And, um, that is definitely part of my, you know, when I hear people talk about public parkour parks, I'm like, absolutely. Because <laughs> DC, that's definitely an issue, right? You can't even jump on some of the buildings without that. So, oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, I've gotten in trouble ending up kind of similarly accidentally even on just the the federal property here in colorado you know there's a whole different level of protocol for those kinds of uh whatever buildings and you know properties um yeah and i can't imagine what dc must be like because it's the ultimate here in the united states but um yeah and, and other other countries don't have to deal with that as much right like most places you're not gonna like jump on something and have guns drawn on you you know but uh <laughs> that's definitely i mean that's that's a huge concern not only for if you're training in dc but uh we've, we've also talked about this you know if you're um bipoc minority you know in, mm-hmm. in training it's definitely scary because like 
the, the U.S. is way more aggressive with that. Instead of, you know, coming out and, and talking to folks, people sometimes show up to a scene with, Absolutely. with like hands-on weapons or tasers. And you're just like, whoa, that's, that's not something you see many other places. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, no, it's a definite, um, a huge uh, factor, especially in the United States, I would agree. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So that kind of sums up your entry into parkour and things. And then you were obviously, what, how did you get involved directly, more directly, I guess, and, you know, ascend into now being the director of the USPK? And maybe for actually others, you know, what is that organization? You know, I don't know which question you want to answer first, but um, contextualizing sure. that for the audience might be helpful because they might be hearing about USPK for the first time. Sure. Absolutely. So yeah, maybe let's, let's start with, with USPK and then I'll talk about my, my entry because mm -hmm. it's kind of chronological there. So USPK was started in, uh, 2017, 2018, um, kind of in the crossover between that. And a lot of that had to do with, what was going on with um, the International Federation of Gymnastics or, or FIG um, announcing in, I think, 2016 that they were unilaterally going to, you know, take over parkour and that that was going to be a subdiscipline of gymnastics in the Olympics. And while, of course, you know, I think there were plenty of folks in parkour that were kind of like, ooh, the Olympics, that could be interesting. Um, at large, the community was very much like, very against gymnastics taking that over because we feel that we're you know completely different philosophically physically you know, gymnastics is about um you know high level body awareness and and control but on very specific obstacles right like it's mm -hmm. been whittled down over over 100 years to you know pommel horse rings um trampolines you know very specific objects versus parkour was basically like everything around you um and you know everyone is saying hell no to like a a 700 page rule book which is what mm -hmm. gymnastics currently has so yeah. the idea of gymnastics coming in and kind of like taking that over was was very upsetting and you had i th i think a pretty typical reaction from the parkour community and the fact that everyone wanted to make a, a fuck fig um <laughs> you know t-shirts i'm not sure if i'm allowed to swear on this. oh Maybe you can say whatever the fuck you want <laughs> okay. here on Hydro. sweet <laughs> well shit all right <laughs> um so yeah yeah i mean everyone was was very gung-ho about making the fuck big t-shirts but at the same time it's just like what is that what is that gonna do and i think that is part of where uspk comes in is as a community we kind of have to mature and get to that point of like yeah we can tell somebody to to fuck off but if they have you know millions billions of dollars uh, of of you know money invested into their sport and and they felt like they could come in and do this, I think, because there wasn't any governing body internationally or nationally. Mm. Um, and so they just thought this is for the taking. And I, I think a lot of people don't know that, you know, this was prefaced by the, the International Olympic Committee or the, the IOC um, commissioning a study. They basically said, like, we don't know why young kids aren't watching the Olympics anymore. How do we get these kids watching the Olympics? And they commissioned a study, you know, they, they got a bunch of scientists to go out and kind of figure this out. And it was like action sports. That's, that's what kids are watching the X games, skateboarding, snowboarding, all of these things. And sure. Some of them like snowboarding had already kind of made the crossover into the Olympic space with a lot of controversy there too, between skiing and snowboarding. Because and they did get adopted. Kind of, was it under the skiing 
skiing it was, was the, uh, you know, gym, gymnastics is to parkour as skiing was to snowboarding in this analogy. And I don't know where that exactly. went actually, but. What was super controversial, I think most of the skiing community kind of had a, a very, uh, I don't know, what's, what's the word for it? Kind of pretentious, you know, look on things and just all these snowboarders are just stoners that are going to come in and ruin this to this day there's there's ski resorts that don't allow snowboarders at them if if i'm not mistaken yeah Yeah. it's a it's an old money type of thing and so snowboarding was was the new hip thing that that uh you know they wanted to bring in but it was like okay um you know how how are they going to do that and so a lot of the folks within snowboarding too were kind of torn about that because they want the sport to grow they want to be able to share the mountain and i think that was a lot of the impetus for folks in the snowboarding community to get behind that, even if it was under skiing, was, hey, we want access. We want to be able to use the lifts. Like nobody mm-hmm. wants to hike up the mountain for, you know, the 30 <laughs> second joyride down. So, yeah. so um, I think that's how a lot of that began. And then, um, you know, the IOC wanted these other action sports. And for gymnastics, they felt like the closest fit was parkour. And, um, but the funny part is that that study actually specifically said that they should reach out to these grassroots community. They acknowledged that there were so many uh, communities that were really um, underground and, and, you know, could use help being brought up to this next level and integrated into the older federations. And as we've seen, most of these older federations don't like to play that way. They're, they're a little bit corrupt. They've existed for a while and they're just like, that's mine. I have the money. I have the power. And now you have to do what I say. And um, so we're really trying to push back for that specific reason, because we've seen that happen with other action sports. So we really have no immediate reason to trust gymnastics right off the bat, because we've, we've seen this before with other sports. Can you tell me a little bit more about why and how government regulation, like why does it invariably, at least in our age, you know, we have an opportunity and, and USPK has an opportunity and that's why you know, it's so cool that you guys are coming forward with trying to have this honest, really transparent discussion. That's one of the primary, I think, antidotes to what I'm about to kind of ask you about is how, you know, how does corruption always seem to come about in governing bodies? And then, you know, what is going to be the way that we prevent that now that we kind of have new tools and an awareness of that corruption, you know, from the IOC? I mean, we all know, like, it's been, it's been in the news, you know, every year that uh, there's anything to say about the Olympics now for, for at least, a couple of decades, FIFA had the whole thing. Like we all know that these governing bodies in sports, like how is it that they, you know, still get away with this stuff? And you know, what from your from where you're sitting, like why is it so obvious? We know they're corrupt now, but there seems to be still very little we can do. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it gets down to just you know high level competitions. Um, when, when you get to a certain point where you're trying to measure human athlete capability you know that's part of the reason there's so many doping scandals right Mm -hmm. people are kind of trying to figure out what is the maximum level that humans can go to and uh you know that's involved drugs uh to to a certain extent kind of figuring out what what the human body is capable of and then backlash when there's a new thing you know even with swimming there was the whole thing with michael phelps using one of those shark skin suits and you know that providing an unfair advantage because you have plenty of countries uh, third world countries that aren't able to afford that and like that that does make a difference you know point mm. something something of a second but it's swimming that matters so there's that and then the whole bidding process and what happens with fifa for and the olympics to like be a host city 
you know, that, that whole process, everyone kind of knows is corrupt at this point. And uh, I was in Rio de Janeiro for the 2016 Olympics. I happened to be living in Brazil um, at the time and the lead up to that. And yeah, I mean, nobody was surprised when like mm -hmm. a, a year after the Olympics, it was announced that the mayor of Rio had, you know, a bunch of friends and fake construction companies setting up all of these things to get the Olympic contract. Um, and then, you know, paying these fake companies and just raking in the money himself. And it's just like that is, uh, uh, you know, tale as old as time at this point of, of somebody in those official governing positions dipping their hand in the cookie jar, trying to get some funding out of it and, you know, lining their pockets or lining their friends' pockets. And so, I, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because I think just as competition can kind of be human nature and to see what we're capable of as, as humans and as a species, um, but the, the corruption is also a, a part of that, right? And just mm. the fact that there's just a hard time for people to say no um, <laughs> when that money is on the table. And so we, you need people that are in those positions to be, you know, just completely um, the, the best moral compass you can possibly imagine. And I just think that like, there's no test for that Mm -hmm. nowadays when you get to those types of positions and people say the same thing with politics too that by the time you get to be a senator or a congress man or woman um you know that you are you're in somebody's pocket you yeah somebody they don't get so you they don't let you, you up to that far that up the ladder until you're playing ball it seems like right i mean i don't know i'm not in right. government but but i i think that exists in in sporting <laughs> you know, events as well. And especially because people have learned that there's so much money in sports. I mean, like the, the U S is, is the, the penultimate example of that. I mean, the NFL alone, it doesn't exist anywhere else. Soccer or, you know, football is like an, an easy one uh, around the world because everyone kind of plays it and all the countries mm -hmm. get in on that. That's why you hear about FIFA, you know, being super corrupt. It's like everyone's from all different types of governments are like in on that. But mm. even the NFL just has so much money. And we saw during COVID, like how much like sports was some of the first stuff that was up and running with mm -hmm. their own bubbles. Right. Yeah. The and, UFC and never even stopped. Like right. <laughs> it's crazy. Crazy. We, we probably overvalue sports, but, at, but at the same time, um, you know, that's, I think that's part of the reason that corruption exists is that everyone sees that. <laughs> Yeah, that's fascinating. I, th I like how you point it towards, I mean, ultimately it kind of points down to like, we, we tend to value this, this thing, this category of sports so highly. And I guess we're just all yeah. very curious about what people are capable of and who knows like sure. what that says about us. Um, maybe we can talk to psychologists more about that later, but um, maybe. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back to, to USPK yeah, yeah. just in the fact that, you know, the, the reason that USPK was set up was, was I'll admit, you know, a bit fear-based, right? When, when the gymnastics, you know, associate or big announced mm -hmm. all of this stuff, everyone was pretty panicked about it. Um, but again, I think USPK sprang out of really good intentions, even if it was fear-based, it was people saying, Hey, we've talked about a governing body before. And, and a lot of people had, it was, it was a lot of kind of closed door discussions or people talking in the community at, at different jams about it. Um, but this was really the first time, you know, uh, several orgs that kind of had maybe been in competition before to some extent. You had, um, you know, Apex, um, American Parkour, um, Parkour Generations, Parkour Visions, and Tempest all kind of coming together and saying like, hey, um, 
rather than be in competition about any franchises or gyms or equipment or anything, what we need to do is come together and create a, a governing body so that we at least have something set up so that the next time gymnastics comes back around, it exists. They can't just ignore us. They can't just say like, oh, mm -hmm. well, those parkour is just a bunch of hippies that like to jump on stuff they don't they're not organized they don't know what they're doing you know mm -hmm. instead we, we you know have some sort of governing body to come back to and say like yeah like the community is is rallied around this we are trying to um you know basically function under good governance which is openness and transparency so that the community knows what we're doing they can weigh in on those things it's uh, democratic in nature so that is kind of the, the impetus to, to create USPK. And then I think I'll, the number one thing I hear from people all the time is, is like, if they know of USPK, they're like, well, I heard about you guys when you first came out and that was mm. it. You know, I haven't really heard much since then. Um, and yeah, we, we hear that, you know, like we, we, we get everyone's perspective <laughs> on that, I think the behind the scenes stuff to create a governing body and create things like bylaws and a charter and just kind of like, you know, mm. it's sort of your, your constitution of, of how USPK is supposed to run. Is it fair? How do people get elected to these positions? Um, all of that stuff at the end of the day is probably not going to be super sexy to anyone who's training <laughs> parkour, right? Unless you, unless you were, you know, on the, in government governance and, you know, your, your job or, you know, the, the political debates in high school or something like that, it's probably not going to be super fascinating. And a lot of it is extremely tedious. So mm. to get a lot of that into shape um, took some time. And because that's specifically because everyone that was working on USPK had a full-time gig doing something else within parkour, whether it's running um, companies or several gyms or, you know, running a certification course, all of the folks that have been involved in USPK so far are all extremely parkour centric and all have their own full time and sometimes several side hustles um, mm -hmm. on top of that. And so everyone's time was super limited in the beginning. And we're finally getting to a point where I feel like it's starting to roll a little bit more and we're trying to be better about the marketing side of things so that people actually know what we're doing mm -hmm. so that we can uphold that, that transparency part of it. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, obviously the IOC has a few decades or centuries head start on you guys yeah. <laughs> in terms of, Absolutely. you know, this being this sort of supervillain that united some of the more um, influential parkour organizations to work as a team. And, you know, it's, it's great that you guys are, you know, now coming at us and, and I'm happy that I have a height drop here to offer you a place to, to tell more people about what the updates that you have made and are making are now. And, um, yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you for having no. me. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being what you're doing. Cause like you said, it ain't that sexy. And I, <laughs> I think I was on a committee for parkour competition, um, in USPK for a little while. And yeah, it's, it's certainly a really thankless and un, you know, it's not hard. It's not an easy job to, to participate in that on yeah. top of everything else you're trying to make happen in your life. There's nothing in it for these guys, especially in the beginning, except to, you know, get parkour and the community at large, a, a seat at the table at the very least and having more say and, and not being able to just get pushed around and bullied by some of these big established organizations. So 
Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All of us. Yeah, of course. All, all of us are volunteer at this point, you know, so nobody's getting paid for this, myself included. And this ends up being sometimes over a part-time job. I think I've, I've definitely put in full-time hours for, for quite a few weeks at this point, but it's, it's one of those things where I, I realize that the window that we have to, to make an impact and to do this is super small because mm-hmm. COVID to be honest, bought us a little bit of additional time because gymnastics, you know, they, they couldn't do anything in the competition space at all. Nobody really could, including ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that gave us a little bit more time to be organized. Um, but gymnastics has started to come back around. They started to ask for different athletes for things like the World Games, which is coming up in, in Birmingham in July. They asked for several female athletes. And um, we do talk to, to gymnastics to be fully transparent. Um, mm-hmm. We've tried to keep that door open for communication just so we know kind of what they're up to um what their interests are and maybe where things are headed next but i've also had a very frank discussion with you know one of the kind of senior execs at at usag saying what if parkour isn't ready for the olympics um because we feel that you know and i i would say that we're trying to represent the community here and so if folks feel differently please reach out to us but (laughs) we get the sense that even within parkour competitions um even though they've been around for a while, we're still kind of finding that um, that happy medium. And what does what, what do parkour competitions look like? And what would that look like for the Olympics? And there's speed skill style, which sport parkour and several others, I think really, you know, Apex had its own circuit for a bit. And we're really kind of pioneering in this space. Um, and so those are kind of the tried and true formats. But we do want to encourage like maximum flexibility and creativity with that stuff. So um, even as we start to look at creating more of a national circuit, we want people to experiment with different formats. Um, you know, we'd love to have chase tag be a part of that. And in fact, we've, we've partnered with um, world chase tag um, and you know, try and provide some support or insurance for this, this next event that's coming up. Um, but yeah, we'd, we'd love for that to, to be a part of it. If we, you know, if gyms want to start doing um, parkour speed relays um, to make it more team-based, you know, I think that's a phenomenal idea. Um, we'd love to see some some speed courses that have ascent and descent. Um, there was actually a really interesting course in Tokyo that was maybe a month or two ago, and we're, I'm not actually sure if that was j- Japanese gymnastics sponsored or not, but it was pretty interesting because it did have an up-down portion where you had to do some pretty pretty quick 180s and climb ups and then you know do a a big drop and roll afterwards to kind of make that part of the the course so we do want to see that sort of creativity um play out because we we just feel that we haven't found the sweet spot and um you'll hear me compare it to, to skateboarding all the time because skateboarding has very recently come into the olympics um you know this this last year um, but skating has had almost 40 years to develop. And I think that we're kind of on more of a yeah, 10 to 15 year point where, you know, if, if we were to compare this to where skating is right now, we're kind of in like the late eighties, early nineties when, um, you know, skating started to be a little bit more commercialized. Mm-hmm. You had obviously Tony Hawk's generation bringing a lot of like business. They were savvy entrepreneurs, um, creating their own skate brands, bringing more money into the sport. And then creating those different um, kind of competition formats that became the X Games. Um, and you had a bunch of those different formats like 
big trick or doubles or, or you know and some of those didn't stick around they just they, they mm-hmm. were in x games for a couple of years and then they realized either it doesn't televise well or it just wasn't that representative of skating and so they nixed it later and i think we're about to enter that phase um, especially for competitions at this point what are the risks of getting into the olympic i mean so you know for the people that are you know, wondering, like, hey, so why does this matter for me? Like, what, what kind of the thing, what are the things that might happen if we get into Olympics too early or without unification or without agreeing on, on competition formats, for example, or, you know, if, if FIG just kind of muscles us around, you know, what are these potential worst case scenarios? And then we can talk about, you know, the best case scenarios. Sure. So, um, I, yeah, I, I would just say that the, the risk is basically the fact that it can just water down the sport overall. Um, so I think people have even seen some of the, the pseudo kind of parkour gymnastics competitions that have been put on. They, they do it via a vehicle called FISE or FISE. Um, mm-hmm. And that has a bunch of BMX and skateboarding and other types of things. And so you've seen some of those speed competitions come out and um, there's still like some great parkour athletes, especially in Europe that were participating in those. Um, but we felt like it wasn't super representative of parkour. Um, you know, it was essentially, it was just like a speed run across a, a couple railings. There were a couple vaults in there and that was pretty much it. Um, and it just didn't have much variety and wasn't that exciting to watch. And if, if like, it's your sport, like I do parkour, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I wasn't excited watching that. And, and so if you're not excited watching your own sport or like, even if you know the people like kind of getting hyped up to like cheer for them, um, something's off. And, and I feel mm-hmm. like that is the danger of kind of letting gymnastics just kind of come in and, and do this um, as well as because it's gymnastics and they have this, professional athlete pipeline that goes all the way down to like three years old Mm -hmm. um you know you get kids in gymnastics early they start talent scouting and then you know these these folks have their peak career from like 16 to to 22 or something like that and then they are kind of like throwaway athletes after that Mm -hmm. i I just don't think that's what we want to see for parkour um we want to see parkour have a longevity we want to see it keep that creativity and not you know force kids to not play anymore you know we're we're having those discussions about competitions right now like how young is too young for youth leagues because you still want kids to be kids and have fun and you know uh, enjoy movement um, Mm. rather than making it all about like let's put you in a pipeline so that you're in the olympics you know six years from now (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i see that as a big thing because they're absolutely going to try to map on what's been working with them for them for the last couple of decades and just try to make a square peg fit into that round hole in some way. And it'll probably be a weird amalgamation of the two if we, you know, yeah, let them do what, you know, have their way. So, and then, so then on the flip side of that, you know, what is, what is the ideal, uh, you know, what the, you know, the mission of USPK and how can we affect the opposite, you know, the, the best case scenario where, um, that you can see. Sure. So um, USPK's mission is the, the healthy growth and development of parkour within the U.S. And we believe that there's a lot of different avenues to, to get there. And the, the Olympics could factor in later, um, but that's definitely not our end-all be-all. Mm-hmm. And e- even then, the Olympics 
in order to be an Olympic sport, you do basically have to start creating a 700 page rule book. And I just don't think that, I, I think even though the money is tempting because people are like, yes, um, in, in the U S specifically, there's no ministry of sport. So like parkour is recognized in the UK as a sport because there's a, a UK ministry of sport that said, yep, parkour is a sport. The U S doesn't have that. It's all about who has the, the, you know, the biggest balls in the room and, <laughs> and the most money and whoever gets the magic U.S. Olympic Committee wand that usually comes with, you know, a million dollars or more. Um, so while that's tempting to, to immediately try and go after that, um, I, I think the community at large would, would agree that we're probably not ready for that because we would water it down ourselves at this point. Mm. We need to kind of figure out what that pathway looks like. And for USPK, I think a lot of what we like to focus on is um, – you know, enriching the community that exists. We, I, you'll hear me talk a lot about trying to create a parkour economy, which is kind of a, a self-sustaining economy, that there's an ecosystem where everyone is able to, there's, there's multiple job career paths that aren't just being a professional athlete sponsored by a Red Bull, because that's kind of what everyone's dream has been, right? Everyone mm -hmm. wants to get to Dom Tomato's level of like, yep, I can uh, Red Bull's paying me X amount to, to do this, or I get paid my brands to put out content on Instagram. And while that's great, you know, even the athletes that, you know, I've, I've trained and talked to Dom before, I've talked to all of those athletes that, that do that. And that even they're kind of like, yeah, there's times where it just sucks to make content. And so we do want to make sure that there's other pathways. And one of those, of course, is a professional athlete pathway where you're doing competitions, you're getting money for those um, and you can actually make more of a, at least part-time or full-time living off of parkour. Um, then we also want to create a whole bunch of other things. And that's where USPK, I think, comes into play is there's a lot of folks in our generation who maybe had those dreams of like making it pro and doing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but now have kind of realized like, hey, I'm probably not at my peak anymore. I need to take good care of my body. I want to keep training parkour, but I want to still be involved in the sport and kind of set up the next generation. And so the natural progression has always been to go like coach and then after coach going to, you know, maybe owning a gym or, you know, running a certification or something like that. And so those are all great uh, formats to kind of take. Um, but we also want to offer, you know, kind of the governance side of things where you're helping to run competitions, you're helping to, um, you know, create that, that economy and pump up, you know, kind of, um, parkour businesses, you know, that's what skating did. They, they all kind of supported each other via their, their magazines and their different brands. Um, I just wanted to see more of the community kind of uplift each other. Cause I feel like, you know, depending on what Facebook groups or what forums are in, you can see kind of some negativity sometimes where people are kind of ragging on each other or calling somebody out for different things. And it's just like, we, we need to get past that, right? Like we're, we're in this mode where if we don't start working together and really uplifting each other all at the same time, then it, it makes gymnastics, you know, take over even easier. And so um, that's part of the mission of, of USPK is to, just to kind of unite the community, um, make that parkour economy larger, bring some money into the sport, put some dotted lines, I would say, around what competition and safety and like certifications look like. Those are typically the things that national governing bodies do. And I would, you know, also just say that e even though we've talked a lot of shit about gymnastics and <laughs> corrupt governance organizations and stuff like that, governance isn't all 
bad, right? Like it, it's it's the it's the reason that life a lot of times can function the way it does, especially in the U.S. Like you can complain about government, but at the end of the day, somebody's coming around picking up your trash. You flip the light, and the electricity works. You know, all of that usually has something to do with some form of governance and, and keeping a semblance of normalcy um, headed in the right direction. And so. Um, that's kind of the answer for, for parkour as well. And we've had some really good um, reach outs from different national governing bodies that aren't gymnastics that are just kind of willing to lend a hand and say like, hey, I get it. You guys are overwhelmed. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on right now. Um, you know, they're sharing things like their strategic plans, their budgets, all, all of these things, just uh, lending a helping hand, not expecting anything in return because um, their sport doesn't even relate. But it's actually a good community to kind of get into to see what the next steps could be for parkour. Um, and so that's kind of where USBK is trying to be that go-between where we understand what other national governing bodies are doing and trying to get parkour to that next level. Because I think a lot of folks have just felt that parkour has always kind of been stalled. Why aren't we at that skating level? Why don't we have all the Tony Hawk video games, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a lot of that is just time you know, time and, and maturation of the community and then uniting and uplifting each other. Well said. Um, did you want to get into some of the more specific announcements? I know that we had talked a little bit about, um, you know, just some of the things that you guys are currently up to that maybe people want to be privy to. Uh, or is there anything else like sure. on your mind before we get into that? Um, no, we can, we can go ahead and get into that. I think, um, you know, I already alluded to the, the idea of a, a national competition happening. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was just, um, you know, reaching out to a lot of the different existing parkour leagues um, that have already kind of been forming. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was uh, Justin Taylor's West Coast Parkour Championship and, um, you know, a lot of people involved in that. And that's been smoothly running for like five years at this point. Um so they've done some incredible work kind of carving out that space. Obviously, Spart- Sport Parkour has done that as well. Um, there's the Midwest Parkour League uh, that's been around for a bit. And so reaching out to a lot of these folks and just kind of uh, discussing what it would look like to start feeding into something else. Because previously, you could just win one of those leagues, and then it didn't really go anywhere after that. So um, we, we wanted to, to feed into more of kind of a pyramid structure. And so, okay, yeah, once you win that regional league, um, let's, let's take it somewhere else. And so the idea is to create a national competition um, sometime at the end of Q3 or early Q4 um, this year and uh, have some of those leagues feed into that. And at the same time, uplift a lot of the other regions that are just kind of starting out um, with their different circuits. So, um, that, that would include, you know, the, the potentially the Southeast, Northeast. Uh, there's been talk about a South Central one. Um, and then, of course, a, a Frontier West, which is kind of headquartered in, in Colorado currently. So it's going to be messy this first year. And we're fully aware that it might be a little bit of a shit show. So I want to temper everyone's expectations a bit. Mm-hmm. To not, it's not going to be magical. It's not going to be the, the immediate Red Bull the, that everyone's probably hoping it will be. But that's because there hasn't really been a, you know, bona fide system set up to do competitions and, um, you know, speed, skill, style, um, 
feeding into much larger? How do you do regionals? How does that filter down to the local level? How do you make the brackets work? How do you make the scoring work? Um, and so we're starting to piece all of those different bits together. Um, and there also hasn't really been like a parkour season. And for kids, especially starting off in parkour, I think it's easy for us in the, um, the older generation to just think, well, we, we do parkour year round, but kids, you know, are in different sports. And, you know, in order to convince parents to like keep their kids in, in parkour, I think a lot of the time they want to see that parkour is leading somewhere. So competitions is a great way to do that because they get to see how good their kid is. They get to see how they stack up. They get to travel around um, to different regions and continue competing. And there's kind of a, a system to like level up and, and progress. And so, um, so yeah, so we're kind of working on, you know, congregating all of those different pieces together so that it can feed into a national competition. And um yeah, and then we just hope that next year it gets even better. There's a little bit more of kind of what we, we would call like a dedicated competition season. And then the idea is that people still train parkour year round um, because it's what we love. And that's, you know, that's the whole point. You can do what, it anywhere. What so. is, when is your season in your head? I got a, like a few months in my mind. I'm like, this is, but I'm curious what you think. Is, is the What's the parkour season if we have to pick one? Oh man, that's a really tough one. Right now it has ranged from, you know, uh, all the way, I think West Coast started in January and is starting to wrap up. And then mm -hmm. I think like Northeast hasn't even like started yet. So oh, wow. right now it is all over the place. <laughs> if I, if I had to pick one, it's, it's tough because we're still trying to figure out right now, the easiest thing is to do the competitions in the gyms, mm -hmm. usually because they have the insurance. It's a little bit easier to use the space. Um, but I know that a lot of us would love to see either, you know, hybrid arenas where you're able to kind of use outdoor features, but put up some scaffolding and add on to it to make it kind of a really good course. Um, or even potentially someday have those big kind of more Ninja Warrior arena type setups. Um, but the, the amount of setup, the amount of cost that is involved in that is massive. Um, so we would need to... <laughs> You're taking a lot of sponsorship money and i think that we want to start small and grow this in the, in the right way um so to that end you know maybe kind of winter into spring makes a little bit more sense just because you can you can still do that indoors and you can kind of be training throughout the winter to get to that point and then we also want to still encourage you know the maximum amount of people to train outdoors in the summer when when the weather's nice mm -hmm. um so another determining factor is too, I think that the world chase tag stuff, we're trying to sync with them for probably not this year, but maybe next year. And um, they typically run their US event, um, which, which we're hoping to run in concert at some point is usually in July, August, um, somewhere around there. So if mm -hmm. we can have it sync up to that point, eventually, maybe that's the goal, but we'll see. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. There's always a lot of competitions in North America, at least in that August, September area, for whatever reason. That's when like yeah. Apex competition happened. That's when Origins holds theirs. Typically, they're going to do theirs again this year, it sounds like. And yeah. I don't know, but I like that. It's a it's a hot ticket, hopefully. Um, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> <clears throat> what are some of the contention points around like you guys, whether you're trying to solve right now that maybe the feed that you're looking for feedback from the community on, if, if any, you know, we talked 
just barely about one i can't remember what it just was but just about um you know whether or not we're ready for starting to etch these things i mean i don't know how permanent they even are you know let's say a format gets into the olympics or it gets into how malleable are our competition formats and how do you protect them from getting too rigid and you know yeah that's a different question but i'm curious about both <laughs> our, ours yeah ours are going to be extremely malleable and and you know uh, as much as possible because again i think that at the beginning we're, we're still really at the beginning of parkour if you mm. think about it and, and the lifespan of what we hope parkour becomes to the larger public um so i think that in, in order to not stifle it and to keep that creativity and keep people uh pushing new tricks you know i love seeing bob reese's you know, breakdowns of how he's like creating kind of, he's just like, well, I wanted to try this, but then I tried this and he kind of breaks you down his mental process to do that. I, you know, I think we need a lot of that at this point because it shows that like, we're still inventing the new sides of this sport mm -hmm. and we want to leave maximum creativity to, to do that. And um, so I, I think, you know, the, the governance side of things is more about safety standards so that people mm. can see that we're being safe and insurance unfortunately is like one of those necessary evils in the states i've learned way more about insurance than i ever hoped to in this <laughs> job it's not my favorite part of it but it's very necessary because all the gyms want the cheapest insurance and so we're looking at ways that we can kind of create more of a risk protection group that people fall under so that it changes the industry's perspective because right now i can guarantee you that most insurance companies it's some middle-aged white guy <laughs> sitting at a desk that's an underwriter that is looking at risk analysis and he's running the formula just going like oh my god I, you know has no idea what the uh you know maybe what parkour is googles it and just sees you know, <laughs> one of those people are awesome videos and it's just people all doing roof gaps and just the craziest highest level parkour stuff that you can think of mm -hmm. and then just goes nope you know they like tick a box and just say like that's the most dangerous shit i've ever seen <laughs> and they give us the highest premiums oh my god um, and that's that's, that's understandable hilarious. but yeah yeah i love how but, that's how like it looks i mean obviously it works against us in many ways, but also I think it's hilarious that, that at face value, it is one of the most insane things you'd ever want to see. You'd ever see a human being do, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's also a big thing. You know, you're talking about kind of contentious is like, we, we also have to take a step back with USDK and say like, we want to serve the existing community as best as we possibly can and take feedback from everyone, create competitions that, that people enjoy, allow for that maximum creativity but we also have to take a step back and project what parkour is to the outer world, because I think we can get very community centric and, and kind of stay in our own little bubble. And we also need to be that first kind of introduction for a lot of people that are interested in parkour and for the new generation that's kids are interested because they see it on YouTube and they see the crazy shit go like, yes, I want to do that. That looks awesome. Mm -hmm. And then, but from a parent's perspective, they're looking at it going like, okay, where can I safely teach my kid this? And so they want to know, you know, and that, that's what we want to start reflecting on our website a bit more as we kind of update it is that yeah, like parkour is actually super safe. We want to prove to insurance companies that the injury rates are actually consistently much lower than soccer or football. Um, you know, it's a non-contact sport. We teach from pretty much day one you know, responsibility, individual 
realistic responsibility, nobody's going to make you do that jump, right? Mm. Um, you decide at the end of the day. And so you have to know your capabilities to get to that point. Yeah. That is why it's so funny because so, obviously it looks like it's probably the most dangerous thing, but it's because it's one of the safest things that you can get it to look so dangerous because if it yeah. wasn't so yeah. within your control, you wouldn't be able to take risks like that without being completely insane. And there's just not that many insane people in the world for exactly. us to all that's maybe we need to do more spotlights of like everyday parkour people for the rest of the world of just like <laughs> how, how these people are very normal they're not like they're not like at work just like flipping tables and stuff like that like they're they're very like mild-mannered <laughs> in, in their day activities but then they can go and do these things because they've drilled that they've practiced that mental mindset they've practiced the physical skills mm -hmm. um but to show that that's why i think those breakdowns are really important and i still think it's important to you know jimmy the giant is talking about save your clips and showing your progression videos i i do i think all of those are super important show the next generation who's coming up uh how to how they can get into this and how they can get to that level that there is kind of that pathway not not in the gymnastic sense of like we're going to drill this into you and you're going to do this from free and go to the olympics but more of a like here's how you can start to control your body and start to level those things up and it is in a very safe way and parents feel good about like getting their kids into that and I, I think the other really unique thing about parkour that we need to leverage especially within the sporting world is the fact that we're the most accessible sport on the planet and it was actually the head of usa skateboarding that said that to me that's mm. you know i joked about there not being enough money on parkour and how skateboarding has all this merchandising and all of that stuff. And, you know, that we call it parkour, you know, as, <laughs> as a joke. And he was just like, yeah, man, I totally get that. But at the same time, you guys have the most accessible sport in the world. Like you don't need a board. You, you barely even need shoes. You, you yeah. can train barefoot if you want. He's like, that is powerful. And the other thing is that you can transition that to other sports. And so Absolutely. I've, I've had, folks from USA youth soccer come up and talk about like, yeah, like we should do a crossover at some point where we uh, train the kids how to fall because that happens all the time in soccer and kids, you know, when you're playing soccer, you don't really learn how to fall correctly. You just like go after the ball, you know, dribble, shoot, um, touch drills, all of those different types of things. But very rarely are they learning how to fall, disperse that momentum and get back up and run. And so mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's where we want to be is, is kind of the hybrid that, that could lead into other sports so that, yeah, if you're, if your kid is in parkour and you still go and do soccer season after kind of the competition for parkour season is over, you're taking those skills with you and you're going to keep coming back to parkour because it's what you love. So. Yeah, it is. I I've always thought of it as like, it's a very fundamental, I think of it. Oh, I, my head always goes to the matrix yes <laughs> and where he's like downloading all the files and it's like oh he's learning jujitsu and he's learning whatever and i'm like parkour should be like right up there at the top of the list of programs it be. because it does have the most broad reaching um applications you know other than 100 so I, I've, I've always thought that yeah it's definitely one of the most yeah accessible and crossover um rich things to train in yeah um I, th I think that's some of the future too. Some of the some of the folks you know that are that are part of USPK um, uh, 
you know, I've really looked at getting into schools. And I think that like APK is doing a super good job of that. They've put, um, you know, 20,000 kids, I think at this point through mm. a public school parkour program and that's taught in middle school. So instead of doing dodgeball, they're doing parkour. They have some basic precision and ball box setups. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's the future. Parkour could absolutely be in schools. And I think that like, it's, you know, we could be a, a generation or two out from like everyone having at least some basic parkour skills. Mm. And that's pretty radical to like, think about if you, if you think about like what everyone's just in control of their body a little bit more mm-hmm. and your vision changes, you know, that's one of the cool things about parkour is you start looking at walls differently. You look at, you know, your surroundings. And for me, it was like me and my suit going to the, the FBI headquarters in downtown DC, you know, being completely normal on the metro about like looking and just being like i could do that and then (laughs) tack off of that and then do that you know i'm like tracing my route how would i get to work the most efficiently if i actually had to just run it and uh you know i think that's like having an entire generation of that would just be like ridiculous like (laughs) that would be so cool to see someday yeah they'd have to remake a bunch of prisons and uh whatever else i don't know i'm just trying to think wasn't that a thing for a bit wasn't there a group in seattle that was like doing like a penetration testing for for prisons i hope so i've always wanted to do that that's a dream i think the store um guys just announced that they had somebody that was going to hook him up to do something like that as well and yeah that is just like a dream come true there was like an old tv show that was like there was two dudes that they didn't know parkour, but they would practice breaking into places, but it takes a lot more skills than just jumping. Jumping can get you into a lot of really interesting places. And though, if you don't know how to pick a lock or do some, probably some stuff that you have known to do. Maybe (laughs) maybe that's my crossover calling at some point when I I retire from USDK. You got actually maybe a bigger map of like, okay, these are like the Batman skills you might say. You know, these are yeah, like everything yeah. that Bruce Wayne had to learn. He had to learn some combat. He had to learn how to fly around and jump through things. And he also, you know, from what I understand, I'm not actually the biggest nerd. I sound like it. So I'm drawing all these um, <laughs> comic I'm, I'm a huge nerd. I'll, well, I'll, I am a nerd, but it, I'm yeah. mostly a nerd about parkour. I'm not really, I actually, I really, I might be more of a nerd than I even know about Batman. But, yeah. you know, he's apparently a really good hacker. Um, from yeah. what I understand yeah. through the through the novels and through the movies and uh, graphic novels, so you yeah. got you got a pretty good Bruce Wayne set going for yourself. It sounds like um, I might have to get <laughs> honestly, more skills on the computer. What? <laughs> that's honestly that's where I like got into it. You know, I think that's I think that's a lot of folks' reasons for getting into parkour. Is like mm-hmm. a lot of us grew up on comics and superheroes and stuff like that and like when people are like yeah why would you why would you want to join the fbi there's so many rules and you have to keep squeaking mm-hmm. clean and i was like yeah i always had this weird delusion that i could like <laughs> save the the world you know so i was like that's how you can learn some of those skills to do those sorts of things and so mm-hmm. it's just been uh, kind of trying to consistently find those things and, and level up where where possible and now it is kind of interesting because it's you know you yeah your your version of that changes as you as you mature as an adult yeah, yeah, you yeah. know and you're, you're like okay i'm not gonna do it as batman probably <laughs> but if i could change the world by getting every single kid to have basic parkour skills 
and and teach some of this other stuff and mm. you know hopefully prevent cyber war from from breaking out all across the world then like great like that's mm. that that's as close to batman as you can probably get in real life so what are um some of the tools that you see available you know in the future to make governance better hap happen better for everyone uh and is, is there anything that USPK is doing like drastically different that you can see that's really innovative? You know, we, you've pointed to skateboarding. There's maybe some other success examples you can point to. Um, but I'm curious to see if there's anything that is just like, here's the new level that everyone's neglecting, you know, that we're doing differently or that we sure. want to do in the future. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll use this opportunity to say, to, to do my pitch on the fact that we need help. We need volunteers. We need folks that want to come on. And we do have to have more paid positions over the next year to make sure that people are getting you know, paid for their work. Um, I know the community has had a, a rough time with volunteer work over the years. Um, but the, the idea is basically the more people that we have on board to do this sort of things, we can run those competitions better. We can get into public advocacy spaces where we talk to state and local level governments on uh, behalf of the community. Because I, I think it's, if you want a public park or park, right, it's pretty tough to go in there as, as you, as yourself right mm -hmm. now. Um, even, you know, unless you have a really solid business plan, you know somebody on city council maybe to go in and to say like, hey, we deserve a parkour park. Let's allocate some public funding to this. Um, when you come in with with you know a national governing body behind you, it's a lot easier because they can look at the site, they can see what parkour is, they can understand, okay, there's somebody larger backing you that has their ducks in a row. Mm. And it adds that kind of legitimacy to um, you know what you're trying to do. And I think that we're gonna, you know, see that pay dividends um, you know, with public parkour parks, with sponsorships, we're also looking at creating more of a sponsorship pipeline for athletes, for competitions. Um, and we see that as a really unique opportunity because parkour as a sport, I think people take really good care of their bodies. Um, so we'd love to see more healthy brands in there, staying away from the, the alcohol, cigarettes, energy drinks maybe, um, and going more the route of healthy foods, things that, you know, uh, take care of yourself and you know pump some of those up for for healthy living um so we'd love to see that um and then the other thing we're doing is we are trying to be as community focused as possible so when you're hearing us talk about the competitions i'm sure a lot of folks are like well how are you guys deciding that and what gives mm -hmm. you the right to decide that well good governance is basically trying to create you know those open democratic platforms and so part of that means creating a competition committee um, that has an athlete advisory committee, um, a judging committee, and we're trying to get as many folks that have been involved in this, that have the experience, um, the folks that felt like maybe they've been slighted by other competitions, um, like Red Bull, I know a lot of people flag on the, on the judging there, um, to get those folks in the door and say like, hey, if, if you're not happy with the results and you kind of don't like that, come join this committee. It's open. You don't necessarily need to be... Um, you know, like running the, the comp yourself, but like, like help, help us decide what those rule sets are, what's fair going forwards, what is representative of parkour. And so we're trying to create those open doors and those types of committees so that people feel heard um, and that they can have a direct impact on what the future of the sport looks like. Um, and that's something that's, that's very different. I think that gymnastics is not going to do that. I think they're, they're tried and true method 
in other countries and, and we're still new in the process within the US, but um, within other countries, it's been basically to get parkour people in the door, um, ask them you know, this information, kind of suck them dry of the information. And if they start to disagree, they'll show them the door and then they'll get in the next yes man, yes person, um, you know, that, that will just agree to whatever they're saying. And so um, we're going about that completely differently because we're trying to build that into the org early on so that people have that voice and, and you know, again, can make that impact. Dope. Is there um, a place that, you know, if they want to get involved right now, let's say a listener wants to volunteer, do they go to uspk.org or where do you direct people that want to get involved? And, you know, is there anything else that you want to share on terms of like how people can get involved and what benefits are or the, the reasons why they might want to get involved? Sure. So yeah, US, USPK.org is definitely the spot. We are in the middle of upgrading our website with a whole bunch of new stuff that, that basically encompasses kind of our direction, our strategic plan over the next one year, three years, five years, et cetera. Um, so a lot of that is getting updated. So if you see the site now, it's going to look kind of outdated. Um, but within the next couple months, that will be launching. And we're also launching a bunch of new um, membership tiers and showing you exactly what kind of benefits you get for those. So one that we're really excited about is uh, for an individual USPK membership um, as like a pro athlete, if you sign on, um, just because you wanna compete, you don't have to be top, top tier. Um, anyone can sign on to this, this membership tier, but that's basically insurance for anywhere you do parkour, not just a gym, um, but if you train outside and you break your arm, um, you basically would just contact our, our partner and it's a super simple process you can do on an app, you know, or with a phone call. Um, and that's pretty revolutionary because I don't think that that's really existed before. And I know that a lot of people that do parkour are probably just either oblivious or, or um, blissfully, hmm. you know, ignorant and, and taking on the, the risk of, of that comes with potential injuries. And in the States, that's a big deal because sometimes your medical stuff um, with your job, your, your insurance may not cover it. Um, so yeah, so we're launching a whole bunch of that stuff. I will also go ahead and send you, Brandon, a, a, a link maybe to put on there. It's just kind of our volunteer Google form um, that people can fill out and they kind of enter those, uh, those Batman skill sets that we're kind of looking for. So if you're <laughs> a webmaster or you've had governance experience, you know, there's, there's a whole section where you can kind of drop in what you're your background is in and you know you don't have to have any of that stuff if you're just literally wanting to help parkour get to that next level we're looking for for everyone at this point we, we need all the help we can get on, on marketing social media people volunteering at the events um helping with setup and you know just spreading the good word i'd say at this point too awesome yeah we'll definitely put that in the description for people i love it man it's like the avengers team assembling yeah. right now for assemble yeah the team <laughs> with a conch shell somewhere in the background just screaming <laughs> that <laughs> yeah um yeah and that insurance is an interesting one i definitely did a large chunk of my training completely uninsured <laughs> and i'm lucky to have Me made too. it through that without any um catastrophic injury i don't know how many others there are out there like me, but I'm assuming many, many young men. And too, women, so. too many, yeah, <laughs> myself included. So we're going to try and make that easier for both individual athletes. And then, as I mentioned, I think for gyms as well, if mm -hmm. we can kind of get under this umbrella risk protection group, 
hopefully it makes it cheaper for everyone in the long run and we can start to change the insurance industry's approach to it um, and, and, and get to the point where they just see that, yeah, okay, we don't need to charge everyone this high premium because gym after gym is reporting very few injuries. Um, and when they, when they do happen, they're, you know, very well taken care of. There's a whole process to report that there's safety measures in place, et cetera. So Neat. that's the benefit of getting more organized. I would say as a, as a community, I'll be especially excited to see, um, parkour parks start popping up here in the United States. I know it's been a weird landscape for people to get some of that stuff done just because the U S is just different than anywhere else. And yes. But I'm I'm very excited to see when those things start popping up in, in certain places, what they're going to start to look like, how people are going to use them, mm-hmm. how the format and like the way they're constructed is going to be different. You know, it'll be very yeah. interesting because we we have like generations of architecture and, and purpose built parkour things, and they always look yeah. a little different each generation. Yeah, and I think that's that's progressing at a good pace. I'd also say if anyone's listening to this and you're, you know, playground manufacturers, your equipment manufacturers, definitely, you know, drop, drop me a line at director at USBK.org. Um, just because we're looking into to that, how, how do we get that in more places? Cause I think there's like something like five playground equipment manufacturers that have kind of a monopoly on most of the playgrounds you see in the States at this point. You know, there's always a monopoly. There's always a monopoly. <laughs> We're in the age of like <laughs> dissolving monopolies. I feel like that's part of like our, the story of our generation. Yeah. We're going to like build yeah. some out too, but you know, that's why decentralization has become such a big theme, you know, blockchain and all that. Yeah. I think is because Absolutely. we're starting to like want to reset the ladder and make things fairer again for people. It's clearly not yeah. working. Please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, it's out of control with big tech and all that good stuff, but but yeah, getting getting to that point where we can at least have a, a ready packet for for people that want to build parkour parks because it is different state by state. That's kind mm. of the the difficulty with with running a U.S. governance body is like every state <laughs> has a different law, and it's always some weird you it's know, like, side side addendum or something like that that you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> damn. Yeah, I, I always forget that, but yeah, it's the United States is a little bit more like doing a governance body for the eu than it is like any individual country probably yeah just because yeah. it's it's got so many little sectors and little sub nations almost yeah. um all right that's amazing thank you sir very much for being so generous with your time and you know on sure. and off air here and helping to fight this fight and be the person that you are doing uspk things and everything else you do yeah. Thank you for having me, man. I'm I'm really glad to be on the podcast and um, huge fan of what you're doing over here as well. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Um, pon- bonus question. This is a bonus question, just yes. purely because you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm aware that you have a knowledge base that is particularly topical these days with the war going on in Ukraine. You made a very um, enlightening post recently. I'm just curious if you want to give people again maybe not that exact post, but just like, what are your current thoughts on the whole global conflict? Because I think that, you know, again, it's just rare that we hear from somebody who understands what we love and also bigger, more important topics in some ways. And that can, you know, bring some of that context context to us. You know, I think it's part of the conversation that um, we so rarely have inside the community sometimes because none of us know what the hell we're talking about, but you do know a little bit. (laughs) Sure. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to happy to dive into that. That's um, yeah. So the, the post I made was was specifically about what Ukraine is going through right now and seeing this kind of build up because cyber at this point is kind of the pretext to most traditional warfare. So you'll see preparations for on the ground operations, um, you know, months in advance at this point, and it's just kind of one of those things of, um, you know, you can anticipate that, and then and then what we're also seeing is. You know, I think Ukraine has done an excellent job of not only repelling kind of what Russia has been doing in cyberspace and, and on the ground as well. Um, but what's critical nowadays is kind of what you call winning the information warfare space, which is essentially um, convincing the rest of the world to, to be on your side. And I think it's kind of a no brainer with Ukraine, but they've also done a really good job. And this is kind of the, I would say, the downfall of authoritarian governments like uh, China and Russia is, is the fact that they're trying to keep it a secret from their local population. And so most local Russians had no idea that this was going on. And you keep hearing these news stories about these captured Russian soldiers who, you know, are calling their moms or, or you know, sur surrendering a free will because they're, they're showing up thinking that they were there to kill the Nazis, that, that somehow mm. Ukraine had become fascist and they were, you know, molesting kids and stuff like that. And that's kind of what the wow. Russian army was like being told. And so these, these folks are brainwashed, essentially going over there thinking that they're doing the right thing. Because I think at the end of the day, everyone always thinks that you, from your perspective, you're always the good guy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, there's that realization of kind of like, are, are we the baddies, you know, like at, <laughs> at a certain point that they had where they're like, I just, yeah, we just like massacred this village. What's going on with this? And mm -hmm. people start questioning that. And um, so I think Ukraine did a really good job of kind of getting ahead of that, reaching out to the international community. You know, what's, what's disheartening is that we do need to, to come together. I think the, the EU and, and the U S to kind of be able to stop this, but essentially Putin thought this was going to be over in, in, you know, under a week and just didn't plan well, had had some bad intelligence and just kind of um, maybe didn't expect the type of resistance that Ukraine has put up, but they are kind of setting the standard for how to repel a much larger invader, mm. how to handle themselves in cyberspace, how to appeal for help from the, the global community. And it sets up, um, you know, some really interesting stuff. I think a lot of people make parallels to what's happening in Ukraine and will this happen to Taiwan in the next few years and mm. the answer is that you know it's not a one-to-one -one comparison you can't it's apples to oranges type of a thing it's a totally different scenario different area of the world but you can bet and and I've, I've studied Chinese hackers for quite a bit of time so um, they're already starting to prepare for that that point when that would happen in Taiwan so you know I'm a lot of my folks that work the Russia side that, that are that are my close friends, we're, we're all paying very close attention to see how Ukraine, you know, handles this, what, how Russia's strategy shifts and all of this. But we're also keeping an eye on like, when is China going to make a move on Taiwan? Because they have been taking copious notes and they've kind of realized like, wow, yeah, if you really can't take your intended target in under a week, you know, then the rest of the world starts to get wind and starts to raise funds and, you know, create Kickstarter campaigns and like all of these things. So, you know, they're kind of realizing like, <laughs> you know, noting Russia's mistakes and how to improve upon it in the future. And to me, that's the scariest part is that Russia is really good at the disinformation type of stuff. So mm -hmm. putting that propaganda out, we saw it in the, in the 2016 election. I, I helped work that at, at my company CrowdStrike for quite some time was, uh, you know, catching the Russians 
you know, intruding into the, the Democratic National Convention and leaking those emails mm. and then peppering that, tr that bit of truth in with the false, you know, falsehoods to confuse everyone and kind of make all of that happen. Um, but what's concerning is that Russia has had that playbook for many, many years at this point. And China is looking at the technological side. How can we get to the point where we can anticipate um, using AI and machine learning technology? What riles up the American public? You know, Will Smith memes were fucking everywhere, <laughs> you know, uh, last, last week or the week before that. Um, how do you use something topical like that and immediately turn it into some sort of propaganda that China can use to um, make us not trust government, make us not trust um, our, our own folks, um, and so discord and divide? And that's kind of the, the goal of a lot of these folks is to divide and conquer, that, mm. that they know that we're all very different people. The U.S. is an extremely diverse place with all sorts of different opinions. We have freedom of speech. That's one of the great things that we enjoy. Um, they don't enjoy in, in their own country, but at the same time, like, how do you get to that point where you can, um, uh, you know, combat that sort of disinformation? And so that's, that's the challenge for myself and a lot of other folks in the future is like, mm. can we get to that point where you trust the information that you're, that you're hearing? So, um, it's a, it's a long road ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are right in the thick of it right now, for sure. That is the penultimate problem or not penultimate. That is the ultimate kind of like problem right here. We didn't, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost impossible to find information you trust, um, at least a hundred percent of the time. Right. So, yeah. well, that's very interesting. I appreciate that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just interested. I'm like, I wonder what this impulse is, you know, is it the same impulse or what is it going to take, you know, to get us to unite, you know, not just as a parkour community against fig, for example, but as like, and nations against Russia sometimes, but just like is it going to take an alien invasion you know people always speculate about that before we actually start fighting with each other we'll see i suppose i do i do think there's some truth in that and that the fact that you know the more we remember that we're all human and that <laughs> that like shared human experience of like we've all suffered in some way mm -hmm. and if you can just find that in a different person remember that they've gone through something probably very similar to what has been the worst moment of your life. Everyone has that moment and it's on a sliding scale of how terrible it is. But yeah. if you, if you can find that in another person then you can have some empathy and just kind of remember that like, yeah, we're, we're all kind of the same. We, we all want the same thing at the end of the day, you know, good family, safe roof over our head food, you know, and mm. when we get to that point, hopefully we can remember more of that. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. Yes. Alrighty. Well, thank you again, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you th with you. And yeah. hopefully we can do it again soon when whenever USPK or World Chase Tag or anything else has an announcement, you're always welcome to ping me up and I'll reach out to you, thank um, you. if you don't do that for too long, I suppose, and and, and see yeah. what you're up to. But I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. So, yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Woo! That was it. I hope you guys dug it. Thanks again for appearing on the program, Cozy, and for everyone to listen, who listened. I said that right. Much love. We're headed soon. We got in one more guest but next week, and then we are headed out to that young United Kingdom. And I will see some of you there that might be listening. So much love to the community of Hydrop and the whole wide world.
you know, because like we just landed on, we're all the same, baby. Yeah. We all find it a little bit weird how long I'm going on this ender. Hmm. You're going to have to get used to it because I'm still going. You guys know what to do. I don't believe in asking for subscriptions or likes or anything anymore. Just do it if you want to do it. If everyone was so dumb that they had to be told how to do it, then we need to just let that go. That's what I think. Hmm. All right. You're crazy if you're down in this deep well with me, but I love you for it. Peace out. See you on the next episode. Thanks, everyone.